Good morning, Five Forks family. This morning, I have the great privilege of introducing Dr. Tony Beam to you all. As you know, Dr. Beam begins his serving us this morning as our interim pastor. He will be with us in the capacity while we begin the task of selecting a pastor, search committee, and start the search for our permanent pastor that we believe God has already chosen for us. Pastor Tony is currently the Senior Director of Church and Community Engagement and Public Affairs at North Greenville University. He also serves as the Director for the Office of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and he hosts his own radio show called Christian Worldview. Pastor Tony has an incredible heart for serving Jesus Christ and a passion for helping and nurturing churches like ours who are in leadership transition. To tell you a bit about him, he's been in the ministry for the past 38 years, has served as interim pastor to some 15 different churches over the course of the last 18 years. He and his wife, Denise, have been married for 42 years. They have three children and grandchildren. You have one that just joined your family within the last couple of weeks. Yeah, congratulations. So that makes nine? Nine grandchildren. So that's just, that's just awesome. Pastor Tony, we are very excited to be having you join us here at Five Forks. And on behalf of all of us, thank you for agreeing to help us and to lead us as we move forward. We welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ. You might want to wait till after I preach to hold your applause till, till then. Doug, listen, it's, uh, it's great to be here. I love the church. I love God's people. I love the fact that God has chosen through and by his people to speak to a lost and dying world, a message of hope. And certainly that message is broadcast widely at Christmas. And so I'm excited to be here and to begin with you at this particular time or season. You know, I, I love to tell the story about a friend of mine from Southeastern Seminary because, first of all, he was, a, he was a good friend. He was a professor, a mentor. And when I was at Southeastern, his name was Carson Brisson. He was the registrar, but he was also a teacher of Baptist history. And he taught me a lot about who we are as a people, as Baptists, as Southern Baptists. And I loved his class, and I enjoyed his preaching. So I would go with him occasionally if I would stay over. Now, I, I was on the road a lot when I was in seminary because I actually lived in Lyman, and I would leave on Monday night and drive to the Raleigh area, Wake Forest, and I would be there during the week, and I would come home on Friday, and I was the worship leader and youth minister at Gowansville Baptist Church over in Landrum at the time. And so a lot of times I was on the road, but when, when I wasn't, there were times I would get to go with Dr. Brisson when he would preach. And he prided himself on always knowing exactly what to say at the right moment. I mean, he would grab an illustration. He would walk into an environment. He would immediately connect with the people by coming up with an illustration, something that he saw that he could use to connect himself to the people. And so I was with him on this one Sunday, and he was getting ready to preach, and he looked up, and he saw that one of the stained glass windows in the church had a broken pane, and they had just a piece of plywood up there covering the spot where the pane of glass would be, 
And he thought, that's perfect. He said, you know, I'm the guest speaker today. I'm not the regular speaker. I'm not your pastor. I'm the substitute. I'm rather like this missing pane of glass has a piece of plywood serving its purpose until the piece of glass can be replaced. The pane can come back to its original form. I'm that person for you. And he was very satisfied with himself. He thought, man, I've connected. They, they get it. So he preached a really fine message, which he always, always did. And of course, back then, maybe the same now, you know, pastors, they walk at the end of the service, they stand at the back of the church, and they shake everybody's hand on the way out. So he was doing this, and I was standing there waiting. He was my ride, so it wasn't like I could just leave him. So I'm standing there with him, and I'm hearing the nice things people are saying to him as they come by. And there's this one little old lady. She must have been in her mid to upper 80s. But she was so sweet, and she had such a wonderful spirit. And she said to him, Dr. Brisson, I just want you to know that you were much more than a substitute today. You were a real pain. (laughs) And for the first time since I knew him, which was about three years at that point, he had nothing to say. He didn't know what, (laughs) he was just kind of stunned for a moment. And so I cherish that moment. Now, my goal as your interim pastor is to be a good substitute and not a real pain. I want to make sure that both of those things are true. I want to get to know you. Um, I'm going to preach to you, teach to you, minister with you, because that's what the body of Christ does. I'm looking forward to your Sunday school classes, because I decided the best way to get to know you, or one of the ways, is I'm just going to pick a, a different Sunday school class every week and go in and sit and meet everybody in the class and we're going to listen to the message to see what God has to say. Now some people, those of you that are teaching, how many of you teach a Sunday school class? Raise your hand. Okay, just relax. <laughs> because immediately I know that he's, he's got all in degrees and he's coming in. No, I'm coming in to enjoy good fellowship around the Word of God and to, to learn just like everybody else in the class. And I look forward to that. So look for me. I, it may take me a while to get around to where you are. I don't even know how many Sunday school classes there are. But I'm looking forward to spending time in each one of them. Who knows, I may start over after I get to the end. Now, I'm going to be here on Sunday night and Wednesday night as well. So let me tell you, uh, I know we don't have service tonight, and we're not going to have service on Sunday nights uh, for the rest of December. That's right, isn't it, Tom? Okay, good. I want to be sure I wasn't calling off church. Um, so we will begin again in January. And when we do, um, on Sunday nights, I'm going to begin to walk us through the book of James. It's one of my favorite New Testament books. So you can look forward to a study of the book of James on Sunday night. And on Wednesdays, when we have our prayer time, we're going to focus on prayer. I'll be here on Wednesdays as well. And we are going to spend time in prayer, but I think we're also going to look at Uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll kind of walk through Paul's letters to the church at Corinth because as we pray for this world that we live in today, I think we'll find a lot of similarities between the world we're in today and the world of Corinth over 2,000 years ago that Paul had to deal with. And so it'll be a good place for us to be. All right, this morning, though, we're going to be in Matthew. If you'll take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now, for those of you who like to 
have the same version of the Bible that the pastor preaches from, if that's something that's important. Um, this is a Bible that I've preached from for 30 years, and it's the New American Standard, so that's the one that I preach from. So if, that, if you're looking for that, that's, that's what you'll find. All right, let's stand together. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? <clears throat> I love this story because it's the story of Joseph. Notice the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her father, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Thank you. You can be seated. I grew up in the country, and one of the things about growing up in the country is no shoes from May to September. When we got to Memorial Day, the shoes came off. They didn't go back on until after Labor Day. And the other thing about living in the country was some of the best climbing trees in the world. And one of the best was at my grandmother's house. Now, this was a pine tree and this picture that you're about to see is close. It's not the exact pine tree, but that's really pretty close. That's about what it looked like. And the advantage is that the branches were really close together, and they were thick up near the trunk of the tree. And that meant climbing was a breeze. We didn't have any problems. Even my cousin, Frances, who hated climbing, she could climb the tree. And my cousins would come occasionally, and that's what we did. We'd climb the tree. We'd get all the way up in the top. Now, the thing about this is we could survey the area. We could see everything from up there, and if we wanted to hide, we could hide because the branches were so thick in the top that unless you were standing at the base of the tree, you wouldn't know that we were up there. My grandmother figured that out a long time ago, but as we would go and play, one of the games we would play would be to see who would go out the furthest on a limb. In other words, you know, the action took place out there. There wasn't anything happening at the trunk. The trunk was all sappy, and there was really nothing to do except kind of hang on to it. It was secure, but there was no fun. If you wanted to have fun, if you wanted to have a little bit of danger, if you wanted to test your bravery, we tested it by seeing how far out on the limb we would go. Because out there, when the wind would start to blow, man, we'd start to sway. And we'd be going up and down, and we used to call that riding the wind. So I want you to think about this morning, the story of Joseph that we find in Matthew is a story about a man who knows about being out on a limb. Because God was calling him to a place that he could not have imagined. And I want you to see, first of all, that God's ways are often out on a limb. When we look at verse 18, it's packed just one verse, but could we get more in there? Is it possible that it could have said more? Look what it says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, 
that's first of all as the Son of God, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, that is before the marriage was consummated, he was found to be with child. she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Joseph is sitting up next to a really big fat tree trunk in his life right now. There were three stages of marriage in the Jewish culture. You were engaged, then you were betrothed, and then you were wed. And the engagement was usually arranged by the parents. And by the way, sometime when we start talking a little bit about future prophecy, I want to talk about the elements of a Jewish wedding. Because when you take a Jewish wedding and you lay it down across prophecy of the second coming of Jesus, actually his first and second coming, you find remarkable parallels. But we'll get into that at another time. But just know that Mary and Joseph had come through the engagement period and now they were betrothed. Now, once they were betrothed, they had to get divorced if they broke up. It was as if they were married. It's just that the marriage hadn't been consummated. So this was a very critical time in their relationship. Now you can imagine Joseph, he's got his life planned out. Mary was probably 14 years old, maybe 13, but likely 14 years old at this point. Joseph would have been an older man. He could have been as old as 18, 19, possibly 20 years old. And yet, here he's getting ready to marry Mary. He's a carpenter. He's well-known in his local town. He's probably going to open up a little carpenter shop and just live the rest of his life in peace, and everything's going to be cool, and it's all going to be nice, and he's going to have a bunch of kids, and he's going to live the life of a typical Jewish man. He is firmly planted up against that tree trunk. And then life throws Joseph an inside curveball at 98 miles an hour. Mary comes home and says, guess what? I'm pregnant. Now, <laughs> I can't imagine the conversation that took place, okay? I mean, can you imagine Mary telling Joseph? Mary, Mary says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Joseph says, what do you mean you're pregnant? We're just betrothed. We haven't come together. Do you mean, oh, no, 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 Joseph, it's okay. The Holy Spirit came upon me. And what is in me has been created by God. And the baby that I'm carrying is the Son of God. I mean, I can imagine Joseph saying, look, your mother told me that you had problems, but you need to lie down, Mary. Come over here and don't talk anymore till we can get you some help. I mean, we read this story, and we've heard it so many times that sometimes we forget, man, Joseph's crawling out on that limb. In fact, he's not crawling. He's being dragged. Mary's telling him something that's incredible for him to try to actually absorb. But in telling him that, Joseph begins the tension of what happens when life takes a turn that we don't expect. You know, God actually likes to put us in tense situations. Because everything about life comes down to the decisions that we make about God. About who God is and about who God is going to be in our life. And there's, when, when change happens, that tension is created. Now, Five Forks has been through a lot of change. There's no question. You've had things go really well for a long number of years, and then you've had kind of a rough patch where it just seems like change is the order of the day. And all of you may feel like you're out on that limb this morning, hanging on for dear life, because there's a windstorm as well as being away from the safety of the tree. But can I tell you something? That may be exactly where God wants you to be. Because when, when do we listen to Him the most? I think we listen to him the most when we need him the most. 
And that happens when the tension is created between the, the situation that we think we should have and the situation we find ourselves in. And the situation we find ourselves in is often a place God leads us so we can do something amazing in our life. We need to remember Isaiah 55. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Maybe while Joseph was contemplating this whole situation with Mary, he remembered a shepherd boy by the name of David who went out to face a giant. He gave up, he gave up the traditional artifacts of war and went out with five stones and a slingshot because that's what he believed God was calling him to do. Boy, he went out on a limb. What about Gideon? Gideon had a pretty good-sized army. And all of a sudden, he sends 32,700 of them home and goes up against an army without number with just 300. What about Joshua? Joshua is facing the walls of Jericho so thick that four chariots could race side by side on the top of the walls. It looks surmountable. But Joshua did what God said. He marched around seven times and shouted and the walls fell down maybe joseph remembered all these old testament characters that god called out on a limb and in that moment of tension of change he did an incredible work and can i just say to you that we will never know the extent of what god would have us to do in serving him if we always take the safe way wouldn't it be easier at five forks to find the safe way I think God has planted this church in a place where He wants the church, you, the members, me, the interim pastor, the deacons, the leaders, everybody, to be looking at this situation. I was amazed as I drove over here this morning. I mean, you're in the middle of it. I know churches that are in the middle of nowhere that would love to have somebody just drive by once in a while. There's no telling how many people drive by this church on a regular basis. We want them to turn in. We want them to have a reason to come and worship. We want them to have a reason to come and hear about the power of God, what God is doing in your life. Make people hungry. Be the salt. Be the light that Christ has called us to be so that we create hunger and thirst in the lostness of this world for people to come and hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what going out on a limb is like. It's challenging. You know, I grew up at Bethel Baptist Church in Ellenboro, North Carolina. It's a great church. And I got baptized there first time. I got saved when I was 25. One of these days I'll tell you my full testimony. I was already in the ministry when I got saved. And I can just tell you it's just easier to do ministry when you're actually a Christian. Okay? I've done both. Easier. So in any event, here, here's the thing. This church, I, I was at a a funeral of a friend had gone home and there was a guy who was a leader at Bethel Church and they'd just gotten a new pastor and I was interested to see how things were going so I asked him I said how's it going with your new pastor and they both looked at their shoes the man and his wife and I thought uh-oh and then when they looked up they said well the wife was the first to speak she says he's a good preacher but he wants us to, and she looked both ways before she said this. It was almost like, it was crazy. You know how somebody will say, they'll like, she said, he wants us to do things. 
And I said, really? Like, what kind of things? Well, you know, talk to people about Jesus. <laughs> to go out in the community and just do things. And, and we don't know if we're really comfortable with that or not. And I thought, I just stopped right then and prayed for that pastor. I said, Lord, give him patience. Help him to, you know. But I would, I would suggest to you this morning that that's what God calls all of us to do. Come on with Joseph. Listen to the voice of God. Hear the tension that's created. Feel it when God calls us to do great things for his glory. You know what? I want to live in a world where every day we see amazing and incredible things happen because the power of God is at work. I've seen God do that in my life. I bet you've seen him do it in your life. I bet you've seen him do it in the life of Five Forks Baptist Church. That's what we want to see. Not the things that can be accomplished when we're up against the safety of the tree trunk, but the things that take place when God shows up and says, hey, I've got a new thing for you. going to be a little risky. And, I, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not coming to do a lot of change. I know I'm scaring some of you right now. Because some of you are thinking, uh-oh, he's going to want us to do things. <laughs> no, look, I'm... I'm here to be a minister, to be an encourager, to be your biggest cheerleader as a church because I believe in the church. But I'm also going to encourage you to think about what is it that God would have you to do? Because I've got news for you. God doesn't have to have a pastor for God's people to be the people of God in the community that he's called them to be. It's good. He, I want him to have a pastor. And listen, the greatest thing I can hear as an interim when I leave, is people say something like, boy, we sure did love you, preacher, but we love our new pastor. That tells me that mission accomplished. Because what we want is for the person that is God's person to be standing here, preaching to you, ministering to you, coming to you, praying over you, and leading you to be the people of God. I think about Peter for just a minute. You know, Peter would have missed the greatest catch of his life if he had decided that he wasn't going to listen to the carpenter who was telling him how to fish. He, he had to be a little bit insulted, right? I mean, Peter's a professional fisherman. And he's fished all night and caught what? Zip. Zero. Nada. As a fisherman myself, I have fished all night and caught nothing. And believe me, I don't want a dentist showing up to tell me how to fish. And all of a sudden, here comes, here comes a carpenter and he says to peter lower your nets on the other side for a catch of fish and i love peter's answer he said lord we've fished all night and didn't catch a thing but at your word in other words crowd all of you that are listening and watching this i know this is nuts but i'm gonna do it because this guy said to so it's on him when my net comes back empty and by the word of the lord he had the greatest catch of his life now how many of you believe you know the rest of the story, right? Later on, Peter would actually get out of a boat and walk on the water because of his trust in Jesus. He didn't have very much at that point, but later he had a lot of trust in Jesus, enough to step out of the boat. Do you think Peter would have ever stepped out of the boat if he hadn't walked to the other side of the boat first and dropped his nets? and seen what the Lord could do. You've seen what God can do. You know what the Lord can do when He shows up in your life, how He's blessed you. You know, I look at my life. I, I'm in an incredible place. I just turned 65. I got my Medicare card in the mail. 
You know, people have stopped asking me if I qualify for the senior discount. <laughs> kind of aggravates me. You know the, the drive through people that call you, honey, what can I do for you, honey? I'd like a sausage and egg biscuit, please. Well, I'll give you the senior discount. She can't even see me. Somehow she knows. But you know, I've learned that every stage of life is a blessing. I mean, my goodness, here I am with the wife of my life that I love passionately for 42 years. And we've got three children that love Jesus. And they're teaching our nine grandchildren to love Jesus. Man, what have I got to complain about? I've seen the blessings of God. I know what the power looks like. And I want to see it in my life manifested in the world for the people who need to hear the gospel. Second thing I want us to see, God's will sometimes takes us out on a limb. Now, if you look in verse 19, you notice Joseph and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So Joseph's thinking about God's way is going to be different than his plan for life. But now he's got to make the decision. I know what God's way is. Now am I going to do God's will? Because it's one thing to know what God wants us to do. It's another thing to be willing to do it. Notice he's a righteous man, but it was not the cold righteousness of the Pharisees. Can I just tell you something? <laughs> I'm a fundamentalist who wants to put the fun back in fundamentalism. Because here, and here's what I mean by that. I mean, if you ask me, do I believe in the virgin birth? Do I believe in the inerrancy of the Word of God? Do I believe in the blood atonement of Jesus Christ? Do I believe in His bodily resurrection? Do I believe that He's coming again someday to take us all to heaven? Check, 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 check. I believe all those things with all my heart. But I also believe that God is a God of grace and mercy and love. And what Joseph did, rather, he could have had Mary stoned. He could have divorced her. He could have shamed her. There's so many options given to him by the law. But, but more than the law, Joseph loved Mary. He wanted to figure out a way to, be, to honor the law without dishonoring her. Boy, do we need a big do dose of that in the world today. We need to find the way, the path to be obedient to God without losing the love that we have for the people that God has created. You know, I just don't believe we can reach people if we're yelling at them. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to preach the truth because I believe the truth. And I believe it's the truth that makes us free. And I believe that love is the right motivation to preach the truth. I had somebody tell me one time, he said, you know, you're just a hater. You hate gay people, don't you? Because of what you say about them. You must hate them. And I said, well, now let's think about that for a second. You know what I believe about what the Bible says about sexuality? You know, I believe that the Bible says that to reject God's view and plan for creation is to reject Him. And those who reject Him at that point or any other point are going to spend eternity separated from Him in hell, a place of torment and punishment. So, if I really hated a group of people, wouldn't I tell them, go ahead, live your life. Live it any way you want to. Because God's going to overlook it. God won't care on the judgment day the way you've lived. If I hated somebody, that's what I'd tell them. Because I would want them to be eternally separated. But I don't hate. 
I love the people that God has created in His image. And because I want the best for them, because I want them to know the blessings of God, I tell them the truth, even though it may not be a truth that they want to hear. You see, that's the balance to me. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth for the right motivation, not in anger, but speak it out of a desire to see people come to know Jesus. That's the righteousness. Joseph's righteousness was warm because he wanted Mary to not be shamed. So God's will is about to put Joseph further out on that limb than he could have imagined because Joseph has a dream. And in that dream, God speaks to him and says, go ahead and take Mary as your wife because what she has said to you essentially is true and it's going to be okay. The tension that was created when God showed up in this situation, if we listen to Him, the tension goes away. The challenges are going to remain. Listen, when Joseph decided to choose God's way, you think his life was a piece of cake after that? I mean, come on. I don't think he would have picked a cow cave for his son to be born in, do you? I don't think if Joseph had a choice that he would have packed up and run to Egypt because some crazy, narcissistic, sadistic king decided that he wanted to kill all of the children that were old enough to possibly be this Messiah that he heard about from the wise men. I'm sure Joseph didn't have that in his life plan. Joseph probably didn't want to have to hear the sneers and the snickers and people talking about his wife behind his back because she was pregnant before they were married. That's probably not the path Joseph would have chosen. But I promise you this, the minute he looked down, into the face of the Son of God, all of that became secondary. And the blessing of God staring him in the face made it all worthwhile. Can I just say something to you this morning? Whatever you're dealing with that is creating tension in your life right now, God is moving you toward a resolution if you will call on Him that will bless you beyond your wildest imagination. Joseph became the earthly father of the Son of God. Now, he was not the father of the Son of God. He was Mary's husband. But he was a son of David, and so the line continued because of Joseph. What a blessing. What a wonderful thing that God was doing. And Joseph had to endure some stuff, but I guarantee he would never turn back. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Or depending on the translation, He will straighten your path. He will put you on the right path. That's the meaning of that passage. And you know, I think about our own understanding being that big fat tree trunk. We just want to lean up against our own understanding when God is calling us out to ride the wind of His perfect will, when sometimes that can be kind of treacherous. But in the end, it's the most beautiful thing and most beautiful place we could ever be. You know, there's a passage, there's a verse here that tells us who Jesus is. Verse 21, verse 22, She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. What does Jesus save us from? He saves us from the power of sin. You know, now that I've been set free from sin, I don't have to sin. Before, I really didn't have a choice. I mean, Satan's the second most powerful force in the universe. If I don't have number one living in my life, I'm going to give in to him every time. But now that Christ has come, 
and that he's walked into my life, I have the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to Satan and mean it and be able to push back against him. Jesus saves us from the bondage of sin. Sin is like being a slave. It holds us in a place that we don't want to be. There's an old saying, but man, it gets said a lot, I think, because it's so true. Sin always takes us further than we want to go and leaves us out there longer than we want to stay and makes us do things that we never thought we'd ever do. But the good news is that bondage is broken when we come to Jesus Christ. Some of you may feel the chains wrapped around you this morning. You may wonder, why is my life not making sense? Why am I not able to move forward? Because of the bondage of the evil one that is broken by the power of Christ when He comes. He comes into your heart. That bondage was broken at the cross and it's broken in us individually when He comes. We're set free from the guilt of sin and finally the consequences of sin. You know, a lot of people walk around carrying a lot of guilt in this life. And it's a heavy burden. I think about a Christmas carol. My favorite one is the one that was done, I think, back in about 1980. George C. Scott plays Scrooge. And in that one, when Marley shows up, boy, what a picture. The ghost, Marley. He, at one point, he tells Scrooge that he has his own chain, even though it's invisible. And he says, it's a most ponderous chain. The chain and bondage of sin is a ponderous chain. The good news is, Christ came to set sinners free. And the moment you invite Him into your heart, that chain, that bondage is broken forever. It can never be placed upon you again. And the consequences, the guilt, the consequences of sin, we know that we don't have to pay the consequences of sin because Jesus paid them for us. Third thing, God's will, or rather God is with us out on a limb. The good news is God doesn't just call us out to some thing of tension and then pull us into a place where we're not comfortable and then leave us by ourselves. In fact, He's there waiting on us to join Him. He's calling us to that place of service. And so to be out on a limb with Him is to be with God. God knew from the foundation of the world that He would have to send His Son so that we might be saved. 800 years before Joseph was born, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said that a virgin would conceive. I'm sure Joseph remembered those words as well. So when Joseph decided to follow God's way by being obedient to God's will, he found himself with God. And the Bible tells us that even before we make that decision, God is with us. Emmanuel. You know how incredible that is? We're sinners by nature and by choice. We've been affected by the fall. You know, I remember when my son, who turns 40 in January, I remember when he was 18 months old, he toddled over to the blind one day, and he reached out to grab it. And I said, Adam, don't touch now, at this point in his life, we were not having a breakdown in communication. He understood his name, he understood don't, and he understood touch. And what did he do? What did this little boy who owed me everything in life to that point do? 
I mean, who was it that punched his mother in the ribs and told her to get up in the middle of the night and go feed him because he was crying? That was me. He would be nothing without me. How did he repay me? He turned around and looked at me, and I saw Satan looking out of the face of my cute little 18-month-old. Just as sure as if it had been horns, a pitchfork, and a red suit, he just looked at me and reached out with his other hand and grabbed that blind. Now the consequences were swift because I had to teach him what it meant to be obedient. But you know what's interesting? Up to that point, I didn't have to teach him what it meant to disobey me. I had to teach him everything. I'd teach him how to use a spoon, a fork. I'd teach him how to walk. I'd teach him how to go to the bathroom. I mean, I had to teach him all this stuff. But I promise you, up to that point, I never sat at the table with him and said, Son, someday you're going to want to disobey me. Let me explain to you how that happens. What I do is I say, you do this and you do the opposite. Got it? Yes, Daddy. No, he came hardwired for a rebellion. It's in his heart. And that's the power that Jesus breaks. And it has to be broken before we can do his will. Before we can follow his ways. Because his will and his ways will take us into places that we're sometimes uncomfortable. Matt Chandler, pastor of a church in Texas. I love the comment that he came up with. He said we need to experience the withness of Christ. You know, we talk about the witness all the time. What about the witness? The fact that God is with us in Christ. I love that statement. Because every day I want to sense that power coursing through me because God is with me in Jesus. When we respond to God, He comes to us. Oh, no, wait. It's better than when we respond. He comes. Before we called, He came. Because the Bible says while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. If he'd have waited on us, we'd still have hell in front of us. But because he came even while we were in our sin, we have the possibility of salvation. We need to be willing to follow God. I love the story, the article that came out in a magazine called More Intelligent Life. <laughs> we can question its title. But in this particular article, it talked about how the me generation has become the we generation. That is, that a lot of people today want to thrill themselves. They want to find new ways to do crazy things. Take a look at this picture. I mean, would you ever do something like, oops, picture didn't make it up there. All right. It's a picture of somebody bungee jumping. And I've always thought, you know, when it comes to flying, I don't like to fly because Jesus said, Lo, I will be with you always. <laughs> I like to stay as low as I can. But, but here's the thing. The idea of tying a rope around my ankle and jumping off a cliff and have it yank me up right before my head hits the bottom. Sure, sign me up. It's like people will tell me, you know, flying is really safe. And I'll say, look, if I, you'd never heard of flying, and I told you that I was going to take you down to a place called the terminal, and I was going to stuff you inside a metal tube, and I was going to set fire to one end of it and shoot it through the sky, how many of you would sign up to go with me? Uh-huh. Got it? Sorry, that's a pet peeve. Here's the point. We do have a lot of people looking for thrills today. Why? Why? Well, 
mainly because, can I walk down here without the sound system blowing up? Okay. Mainly because we live sedentary lives, because we get satisfied in our life. We find that place of complacency where we just want to stay and be comfortable. And the fact is that God has called us to a place of service that always creates a moment of tension, that is always resolved by the power of God being put on display first in us as he changes us from the inside out, and then that same power is manifested to a lost world where we go out and share and witness to people that don't get it. We go out and tell them what it is that they need most, what they're looking for. The world is crazy. Can I get an amen? amen. We got a culture that's so goofy. I mean, I can't, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm astounded sometimes. If you want to hear me talk about it in detail, tune into the radio show. I'll talk about it for two hours every morning. And I talk about God's Word being applied to it and what it means. But here's, here's the thing. In a crazy world, sanity comes by those who have found their sanity in their relationship with the Creator. The one who made us knows how it's supposed to work. When we come to Him, He makes it work. Let me finish by, we're going to go into the Lord's Supper and have a time of reflection. You know, I love Christmas and I love Easter. A lot of people talk about the bookends of history being the creation and the second coming. In Genesis, we find in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Revelation, we find he came, the, the Son of God descends from heaven with a shout and the trumpet of the archangel. Okay? And we kind of think those are the bookends of history. Well, yes, those are the bookends of human history. But the bookends of salvation in eternity are the incarnation the birth of Jesus, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And today, we're going to talk about both. Why? Because one points to the other. He came to be Emmanuel, God with us. He came to save. The moment he was born, we found out how he was going to save us. We found out in his life as we looked at it that it was going to require the perfect sinless sacrifice. And here we are on the other side of the door being opened for eternity. And today we have the opportunity to celebrate that sacrifice, to remember it, to take it seriously and to think, to participate with the, the body, the broken body and the blood of Jesus, not in a literal way like some would say, but in a symbolic way that reminds us that the broken body and the blood of Jesus was necessary for us to experience salvation. In Matthew, he came. In John, he died and was resurrected. In Acts, Paul tells us that we're to remember that, and so we do in this moment. I'm going to ask for the deacons to come forward as we pray. Father God, in this moment, I come to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and I thank you that we in the world that we live in today can hear your voice at a point that we can pull ourselves away from the comfort zone that we find ourselves in. We can experience this tension of the way our life is, knowing the way it should be, and that Lord would be willing to go out where you're at work. And Lord, in this moment, we celebrate and remember the reason that that's possible. If you had come 
we could not know salvation. But you came and you died and you rose. And so your broken body and your shed blood opens the door to eternity for us. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.